Informed Ascent, brought to you by Firearm Training Associates. Firearms Training Associates is, is a lucky company because we have been able to draft in some of the best instructors in the world. We have special operations guys, we have guys from the U.S. military, from foreign militaries that work for us. They provide a great deal of insight into self-defense. So we developed this so that our customers could come on the weekends and get the best training in the world. We pride ourselves on our civilian training. It's our armed civilian that's one of the most important things to us. We want to teach them how to survive dangerous situations. When you come through the course, as long as you're performing at an acceptable level, you're going to get a certificate that puts our stamp on it. And we take it serious when we put our stamp on there. When you get our gold label, that means that you've passed the class that you've attended. Firearm Training Associates, proud sponsor of Informed Descent. Find out more at FTATV.com. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics, with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board certified primary care physician, and Dr. Mark McDonald, board certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Well, Mark, great to be with you on another episode of Informed Dissent. We're back in the States. It's been a while. We were gone to uh, Eastern Europe for. Oh, how long were we gone for? 10 days or so, two weeks. Uh, we went on a wonderful Dennis Prager listener riverboat cruise uh, where I got to hear you snore most nights uh, as as your roommate. It was fantastic. I blame that on the alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> and then you stayed over in Poland for a while, didn't you? I did. And unfortunately, I spent most of that time in bed. I was quite sick. There were people coughing and sneezing at the last stage last couple days of our trip, I felt fine until about 24 hours after I got off the boat and then I got hit with a really nasty URI. So uh, about two weeks of uh, exhaustion and coughing and pain was was my fate post-cruise. You survived it, I uh, don't know how exactly, with, with absolutely no symptoms and unscathed. So maybe it was uh, due to your lack of drinking. <laughs> Superior immune system and supplements perhaps as well. Well, I'm actually taking a lot of supplements myself, but as I'm, as I'm discovering there's supplements and then there's supplements. And there's also, as you know, uh, different bioavailability, chelation, uh, taking supplements with fat that are fat soluble versus water soluble. There's interactions with supplements to take them at certain times. There's sustained release, there's immediate release. So it's actually a lot more complicated than just popping some some supplementation here and there. And I think that that I may have done a decent job with my supplementation, but I think that now that the bulk, when I say the bulk, I mean like the majority, more than 50% of the population of the world has been immunocompromised by multiple mRNA injections. I think there's just a lot of people that are harboring viruses and bacteria latently. And I think they're just spreading infection right and left. And so people who are who are healthy and who have a decent immune system are just being bombarded. They're just being under attack in every urban dense area. And I think we were in a lot of dense populations. And if you want to survive that assault, you need to not just be in good shape with decent supplementation. You need to be on a hyper supplementation regimen where you just don't have any entry point for these bugs. 
uh, because if you do, they're going to get inside and they're going to nail you. Yeah, I think that's right. And we've talked about this. We're going to, by the way, I figured out how to order labs finally. <laughs> so I'm going to order some labs for you, my Excellent. annual panel. And then we'll take a look at that and see if we can tune up some of your, your supplement game. That would be great. So Mark, what was the highlight of our trip for you? It was discovering that when I'm not in the United States, I don't hate people. <laughs> okay. I just published an article on my Substack yesterday called The Misanthrope, you know, which is the name of a French play written in the 1730s, 1740s by uh, Moliere, who's a French playwright. It's actually a quite funny comedy. I saw it live at the Pasadena, no, not the Pasadena, the University of California State Los Angeles Theater when I was in high school. It's quite funny. And it uh, describes the man who says, look, I'm a misanthrope. I just hate people. I hate life, basically. And I hate people who represent life. And I've been feeling like that more and more here in Los Angeles for quite a long time. I just am, am really not happy being around people. But when I went on that cruise, what I realized is that it's not that I hate people. It's just that I hate the people that live in Los Angeles. Right. And I hate people that live in large urban environments in LA. And, and what I mean by that is that most people, the majority of people here in America in urban environments, not only do they not share my values, but they also are so self-delusional and so unaware of what they're doing to themselves and others that is so harmful and irrational that I am exhausted in having to interact with them and in having to uh, tolerate their, their insanity. And when I was on that cruise, I was around 140 people who were... You know, I wouldn't say I agreed with every single value they held, but by and large, they were certainly rational and their views were by and large reasonable. And in addition to that, off the cruise, you know, as we were wandering around these various towns from Hungary down to Romania, we ran into a lot of people and we, I talked to quite a number of local people and they were also pretty reasonable and pretty rational. Central and Southern Europe are full of the people that America used to be full of, at least in the cities, in the rural areas, America is still full of those people. But you go into urban environments in Central and Eastern Europe, and it's kind of like what the cities were like in the U.S. 40, 50 years ago. Mothers and children and fathers and grandparents walking around, saying hello, goodbye, kids playing in fountains, teenagers having coffee. Everybody's very polite, relaxed, interactive. There's very little crime or violence. There are disagreements, but they're certainly not ideological, foaming at the mouth, crazy vampire, anti-Trump derangement syndrome type of attacks like you see here in the US. So I think what I noticed was that I was calm, I was relaxed, I was interactive, I was definitely very warm towards the people I ran into. I didn't have any reason not to be. And I think when I came back, uh, I realized that the, the big difference between here and there is simply that our values in the United States, basic values like non-ideological indoctrination in schools, two-parent household families, the absence of anti-vicious, anti-religious, anti-Judeo-Christian uh, uh, ideology, and a general support of church and religious values and religious practice, all of those values that used to be so common in the US that are still common in Central and Eastern Europe, they just don't exist here anymore in urban areas. And so being around communities that still hold those values, I think that that creates a kind of skeletal structure and a, a, a connection 
that is so necessary for communities to thrive. And I would love to see that come back here in the United States and to see that value system return, because I think without it, I don't believe that the United States can continue to grow and thrive. And I think it will con it will proceed down a path of decay, which I, I really don't want to see. Well, some of those values certainly still exist in the United States in small town USA. Small areas, yeah. And um, so that's why a lot of people are, are leaving California and moving to some of those small towns. The other thing I noticed as we walked around is you rarely see unhealthy, obese people like you. Yes, see you pointed that life. out. That is so true. And I think they just eat different there. They don't have ginormous refrigerators that they stuff with three weeks worth of food. They go shopping every couple days. They eat local. They buy their um, their meat from the local farmer down the street. And the same thing with produce, much more of a farmer's market type environment than what we have here where we have mass market food in giant supermarkets and so forth. It's not to say they don't have supermarkets, but I just think people shop and they eat differently than, than what we do here. And it seems like there's a lot more movement. They're walking everywhere they go and they're outdoors a lot more than we are. Um, and it just felt like a much quieter lifestyle and a more quaint lifestyle than what we've created here where 40, 50% of the population has chronic disease. <clears throat> I read a study recently that says Americans take more prescription drugs than all other countries combined. And, you know, it kind of makes sense, first of all, from an advertising standpoint, us in New Zealand are the only countries that allow direct-to-consumer advertising of pharmaceutical products and marketing works. And also we just have so much chronic illness here because of the food supply and the toxic waste that people are exposed to, um, that there's this need to use chemicals to try to heal that which they have self-inflicted. I read a, an article recently that much of the meat that we produce here is banned in other countries because of the way in which we raise our cows and some of the garbage that we put in our meat and the same thing with chicken and even pork. Um, yet this is what we market to the American people and our lifespan has decreased. Um, our, the health of our country has decreased and it's, it's very unfortunate and hopefully we can turn that around. Well, all of what you said has, I think, produced these equally unhealthy fringe movement counter reactions. A prime example of that is veganism. You go to central Southeastern Europe, other than tourists, you don't see vegan restaurants. You don't see vegan supermarkets. You don't see vegan signs, hardly than vegetarian. And that diet, the, the vegan diet is, is horribly unhealthy. And yet it's very popular here in the US in part because of the reaction against such unhealthy meat products. Not that meat is unhealthy, but that we have unhealthy meat. And if we were to have more healthy protein sources, and we do have them, but they're just not common in you know, general supermarkets and restaurants, I think it would be a lot more powerful to argue that nobody Nobody should be eating a vegan diet. But when you say that now, the response is, well, but look at all the crap and the steroids and the antibiotics and, and the, the horrible practice of raising and slaughtering animals, which is all true. But you don't see that in Central and South Southern Europe. You see people raising their own chickens. You see local produce and, and local animals. You see uh, less transportation and freezing and refrigeration of food because from you know farm to table, it's much faster even for meat. 
So you don't even have to worry about that stuff in some of these towns. And the people are eating wide varieties of protein sources and including eggs and a lot of dairy products. And yet, guess what? They're not fat. They're not having strokes. They're not having heart attacks, partly because of the movement. As you said, they move around and also portion size, but also because I think they're eating a much more healthy and varied diet than we are in the US. We either eat crap or we just go full nuclear and all we eat is uh, tofu and cholesterol-free water and uh, wheat protein. And, and that's just not the way to go. Yeah, no, I agree. If you look back about 100 to 150 years ago, heart disease and type 2 diabetes and obesity hardly existed. And now it's, um, you know, the leading cause of death in the United States is atherosclerotic coronary artery disease. And it's not because cholesterol is high, it's because inflammation is high and metabolic dysfunction is high. And we need to really get back to the way our grandparents ate um, and get away from this FDA pyramid food where it's heavy in carbs, it's low in healthy fat, and, uh, and the protein that people consume is toxic protein from mass marketed cows. So you can buy healthy food, but you just have to know where to look for it. And you have to understand how to do that. So I buy my meat at Mother's Market, which is down the street. I've got a grass-fed um, organic ribeye waiting for me in the refrigerator that I'll be uh, cooking up after we're done uh, recording. And that's the way I eat, grass-fed organic beef. Um, I drink raw goat milk, um, honey, eat plenty of fruit, little bit of vegetables, but not heavy on vegetables. And uh, I've never felt healthier before in my life. But you got to learn how to do this. And, you know, I, I get criticized all the time when I advocate the drinking of raw milk. Uh, but the reality is, if you look at the, the milk industry and how it came about with the Industrial Revolution, and we started pushing farms out of the way, we forced farmers to consolidate on smaller areas of land. And the cows, as a result, became sick because they were quarantined in small areas. And as a result of sick cows, you had polluted milk. And so the solution was not to allow the cows to roam again. The solution was to pasteurize the milk. And so you take the milk and you heat pasteurize it. You heat the crap out of it. You remove all the healthy enzymes, all the healthy bacteria, and you turn it into a white sterile liquid. And then you take it and you homogenize it, which is nothing more than spinning it down with a centrifuge to separate the fat. Then you remove the fat from it and then you add back um, synthetic fat to whatever desired 2%, 4% milk, low fat, non-fat milk. So you have this artificial product that you sell as milk. And it's no wonder people are lactose intolerant and dairy intolerant because it's garbage what you're feeding them. If you feed and you drink raw milk, raw milk is from organically raised cows. It's loaded with healthy enzymes and probiotics. It's easier to digest than pasteurized milk. And many people that can't tolerate milk can tolerate raw milk. And then if you wanna be a little bit crazier and take it one step further, goat milk is a thing too. So I actually drink raw goat milk and goat milk has slightly higher fat content than cow's milk. It's got a lower sugar content than cow's milk. So it tastes very creamy um, and it has wonderful digestive enzymes in it. So it's actually easier to digest than cow's milk, but it's hard to find um, because there just isn't a huge market and it's very regulated. There are some states that banned this, the selling 
of raw dairy, un- unfortunately. And, and it's not just the milk, but it's also the cheese and so forth. So listen, if you eat more like our ancestors did, more like a carnivore-like or paleo diet, I think it's a much healthier way to go. Um, and we will then get rid of much of the chronic disease, including obesity and asthma and diabetes and on and on and on and cardiovascular disease as well. And I think there's a case to be made too. eating this way will help reduce the risk uh, of even cancer. So we've polluted our food supply. We've polluted our um, our water supply. And as a result, um, the American people are paying the price water as well. I would, I don't drink tap water. You know, you know, I, I, I always call traditional schools, government schools, all the indoctrination and so forth. I now started, started calling tap water, government water. <laughs> it's the government that determines the level of garbage that they allow in it. Fluoride and chlorine and God only knows what other heavy metals it's government regulated water. I don't want to drink that stuff. I don't trust them to educate my kids and I don't trust them to, um, to nourish my body. So it's only filtered water for me. One of the problems with the water issues is that unless you have a, a clean well, you really can't trust the water that you buy either. The standards for private water are sort of like the standards for supplements. Unless you actually know what you're buying, you, act, you could get something that's quite dangerous. A lot of the water that was tested when I was at UC Berkeley, when I took a class called the Water Planet, with a water specialist showed higher levels of contamination in the branded water than in the UC Berkeley tap water. Interesting. Higher degrees of toxins, bacteria, um, all sorts of contamination because there, there are no standards with bottled water. doesn't mean that all bottled water is bad. Well, you have to, you know, you, you have to know which, which bottle you're buying. And a lot of the, the bottled water is actually just, um, as you said, government water, that's been put through a filter and then rebottled. Yeah. And so unless you're going to drink distilled water, which is safe, but it doesn't really have any nutritional content in it. Um, it, you're, you're kind of, you're kind of in a tough spot. I, I think it's really hard now to be able to make decisions about what you buy, unless you do research and you're consistent about the, uh, the companies that you, you support. Totally agree. And it's hard to do the research. So you need to either follow somebody that you trust that is doing the research can follow me, Rx for Liberty Instagram. I do a lot of that research. There's a product I use uh, for my home. It's called AquaTrue. It's a water filter, three-stage water filter. It's reverse osmosis. It's got a carbon filter to remove most of the garbage. It's got a reverse osmosis system. And then it's got a third filter to put minerals back into it um, because minerals are important in water. It's a wonderful product. There are others that are good as well. If you're going to buy bottled water, I think one of the best is a product called Mountain Valley. They make both a sparkling and then a still water comes in a green bottle, only a bottle. It's not plastic. I think that's one of the purest bottled waters uh, that you can buy. It gets expensive buying bottled water. Ultimately, it's best to have a water filter at home. And then you, if you want to really get crazy, take it to the next step because now we shower in this garbage too. So we get into a hot shower. We heat up our pores to make them open. Um, and then we're pouring chlorinated, fluoridated water onto our body that our body can then absorb. So the next stage of being a little obsessive compulsive about this is to either get a whole, whole house filter or to put a shower head that has a filter on it to filter out the chlorine and fluoride and the other garbage as well. But you, you can really go crazy. But 
The reality is chronic disease is as high as we've ever seen it. Cancer is going crazy. I'm not saying it's water in particular or just our food supply. It's a combination of everything. And the more you can detoxify your life, including being careful of holding the cell phone, your cell phone next to your head, putting, you know, these wireless earbuds into your ears directly next to your brain, uh, being exposed to Wi-Fi 24-7, the better off you're going to be if you can detox detoxify yourself. Listen, I use a cell phone and computer and all that, but I try to minimize the the Wi-Fi and the uh, EMF as much as possible and then try to clean up my diet as much as possible as well. I know a woman who calls on me in my office who represents a pharmaceutical corporation who has actually installed a house level reverse osmosis system where she lives for thousands of dollars because she would no longer even shower in, as you saw it, government water. And I thought she was nuts. And I started reading up on these filters and I discovered, as you probably know, that standard passive filtering systems, even very expensive ones, do not actually remove fluoridated water, the fluoride in the water. You actually need a reverse osmosis to cut the pore size down to a size that will reverse or remove the fluoride, but no level of carbon filter, even though it removes heavy metals, does not remove fluoride because the ion is so small. I mean, this is kind of what it's come down to. And and, and you can really go off the deep end and trying to protect yourself. And what I thought was crazy three years ago, now I'm considering to be sort of reasonable today. And it's only, only because I no longer trust what I'm being told by my government. I don't trust any of it. And everything that I hear, I assume it is a lie until proven otherwise, because 80% of what I've been told for the last 20 years has turned out to be a lie. 100%. That's why I call it government water. You know, I've got a, I've got a patient right now. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> about an hour ago, I was texting back and forth. Um, mom's name is Brooke. And the baby's name is Reagan, cutest little baby, about six month old. And baby Reagan's got a rash. And so we're walk, walking through how to treat it. Mom is still breastfeeding. So we're going to use some breast milk on the rash. Wonderful um, uh, antibacterial properties that mom produces that we're putting on the rash. And she keeps giving the baby a, a bath, understandably. Um, and then I asked, what are you bathing the, 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 the baby in? And it's, it's, you know, water out of the tap. So she's stopped that now and she's got a filter. So she's not bathing the baby in tap water because the tap water is very harsh. It's got chlorine in it. This poor little, the skin on the baby is just uh, very, very sensitive. And sure enough, as soon as she stops the tap water baths, the the skin now is quieting down and the, and the rash is going away. So it's it's that simple. And I, I know people think I'm absolutely out of my mind for some of these things that I... Um, you know, talk about, but I, th- I think it's important. I'm seeing this firsthand, ill people. And in part, I think they're getting ill because of the food they're eating, the water they're drinking, the environment they're living in, the toxins they're being exposed to. Um, 5G is everywhere. And I can't imagine that's healthy for you. No, I don't have proof. But this constant bombardment with electromagnetic fields is not a good thing. And so um, we need to start living our life a little bit better. And you know, Beth and Doc, I know you mean this kiddingly, but no, I don't give Winston my cat tap water. If I'm not going to drink it, I'm not going to let poor Winston drink that garbage. So she gets the good reverse osmosis stuff 
uh, just like her, just like her daddy drinks as well. <laughs> I think that the only way to really practically and 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 easily eliminate the bulk of all of these stressors, health physical stressors, is to move out of a city and to live in a more remote part of the country where you have access and control over your water, your food supply, your electrical transmissions, the air, the plants. It's very difficult to do a good job of controlling those factors in a city because the level of control that you have in a city is minimal outside of your home. And worse, it's becoming even less because of the movement for the 20 minute zone city urbanization, which is now sweeping Europe and the United States, which is essentially the government determining everything that you do in your day-to-day -day life outside your home within a 20 minute radius. And that includes yeah, what absolutely. you eat, your transportation, uh, how you communicate, what devices you use, your payment systems, everything that you do is controlled by the government or soon will be. And unless you're outside of an urban area, I, I don't know at some point how you escape that. It, it's so where are you moving to? Well, I mean, you, you, it's clear you hate where you live. You hate the people yeah. that you live nearby. So what's, what's, what's the next move for Dr. McDonald? I have to move somewhere where I can still make a living. That's really the main problem with leaving a city is that all of the income is in urban areas in the United States. Uh, there really is no way to make a living outside of a city uh, in most professions today, uh, unless you want to just work through video screens. And that kind of defeats the purpose of what we're just talking about. I think that if you're living out in a rural environment and you're doing all of your work eight to 10 hours a day in front of a computer screen, I'm not sure that you're really benefiting in the end. Yeah, for sure. Well, come on down to Orange County, Mark. We uh, would love to have you down here. And we got enough crazy people to keep you busy. I don't think I would really uh, escape the majority of the, of the problems because I'm still living within the state <coughs> and I'm still drinking the same water and I'm still paying the same taxes. Yeah, that's true. California is getting crazier than ever, for sure, as they continue to bombard us with you know, one law after another and forcing more and more people to, uh, to move out. And before long, we may have President Newsom, our wonderful <laughs> governor from California, running the country. If he runs the country like he does with California, I think it's time to move to Croatia. Yeah, I think that would be the end. Yeah. So um, what's next on your travel schedule? Well, I'm going to be going to Washington, D.C., in a few weeks for a reboot of America's Frontline Doctors that started in summer of 2020. And we'll be doing some speaking and um, media and public advocacy there uh, as yet to be determined exactly how it's going to be planned out. And uh, we're not allowed to discuss it publicly until uh, it's af after it's happened. But there will be a group of us going to D.C. Uh, in the next four weeks, uh, and we will be doing some speaking and recording primarily on medical freedom and legislative action on how to. Good, good, good. That's forward. I'm glad that group is getting together. I was invited, of course, but I'm, I'm passing on it. I've got too much other stuff going on. Uh, and it's a long trip and days out of the office. So I'm going to pass. I'm sure you guys will represent well. And then, of course, you and I will be at Godspeak on the um, on. Is it July 17th? Let's see. I'm looking it up. July so 17th, I believe. We're going to be there with Riley Gaines.
Yep. You may recall she's the gal that had to swim against that ginormous uh, man pretending like he was a woman. And you and I will be speaking along with Riley. So I think I think it'll be a great event. July 15th is Saturday, actually. July 15th. All right. Yeah. Very good. Three of us will be there, uh, hopefully. Uh, and I expect it to be a, a full house uh, to speak from different angles about the trans activism and what we can do about it. Because this is, in my view, the number one issue in the country that is the most unifying among all Americans. And I would even go so far as to say that this is probably the number one moral issue that serves to divide and define where you stand as an American. If you are in support of transing children, in support of allowing boys to shower with girls and to compete against them in sports, you are an immoral human being. And if you are opposed to that, you are on the side of good. Uh, I rarely say that about any issue because I think there's always different points of view and gray areas. This is probably the one issue in the United States where there is no gray area. In fact, it is so black and white that on a fundamental level, if this issue is allowed to continue and we give up the position that it is morally wrong and intolerable, I believe that we will lose our society and our country. I think it's, the situation is that important. Yeah, I don't, I don't think you're so far off. There's a, there's an Epic Times article that um, I'm not sure if it's out yet. If not, it will be out shortly that I was uh, interviewed for on this topic. And I said that it is immoral and it should be illegal um, for any surgeon to remove body parts, especially of a minor and I think of an adult as well. And the analogy I gave is, is imagine that I had some weird fetish that I thought it would be cool to have only one arm or to have eight fingers instead of 10. And I wanted to hire a, a surgeon to remove one of my arms or to take off two or three of my fingers because as an adult, that's just what I wanted. No surgeon in his right mind would do that. It would be illegal, immoral, and unethical for a surgeon to do that. Yet we allow surgeons and we, and we give it names to make it sound as if it's not a big deal. We call it top surgery or bottom surgery. And we allow a surgeon to remove perfectly healthy breasts because that adult or even worse, a minor wants it or to remove, you know, a man's penis because they think it's a good idea and a surgeon can make money doing it. Those types of surgery should be illegal and it should be criminal for anybody to do that on a minor. Um, yet it's done routinely across the country, and we need to stop that. Well, you've just <clears throat> brought up an important point that is not often discussed clearly and explicitly, which is that even though the victims of this evil movement are primarily minors today, the reason why it's evil is not because they're minors. The reason it's evil is because it's wrong to take away and cut out healthy body parts and to block the hormonal development of adolescents and young adults, period, under any circumstances. Whether you're 10, you're 20, you're 40, you're 60, or you're 80, that is an immoral action. It is unethical medically, and it should be illegal. And that is why I believe that the debate or the, the battle to stop this from happening 
in children should be expanded to all ages. Once you're 19, you shouldn't be able to have this procedure done to your body. And this is where I really differ from the libertarians who even up to today think that it's okay for people to wear masks as long as you don't force me to wear it. It's okay to have breasts cut off and penises cut off as long as the person is over 18. And my reaction to both is no. It is harmful. It is a medical imposition. And it is immoral and unethical for that to be put onto someone, regardless of whether that person provides so-called consent. It is just simply wrong. In the same way that if a 20 or 30-year-old woman says that she's anorexic and she feels that she's too thin and she wants to starve herself to death, she cannot provide consent to a doctor to allow her to starve herself to death because that's how she sees her body as a skeleton. We don't allow that. We just say, no, it's wrong. Right. And we haven't done that yet with this movement. And I think we need to, because if we only stop at the minor level, I think we've given up on everyone that is over 18 and is of adult age, because I think that we have avoided the more difficult argument, which is that it is an immoral action to do it, period. It's not a consent issue alone. It is also an act of immorality. It is an a priori uh, wrong. It's it's not about consent. That's right. I, I can't consent to have my healthy arm removed. Nobody would do that. They would think I was out of my mind, that it wasn't right, that there's something mentally wrong with me to want to do that. And no surgeon would ever be allowed to do that. And we should not allow a surgeon to do that on an adult with um, reproductive organs as well, to remove breasts, to remove a penis, to reconstruct, et cetera. It should not be allowed. So if you're listening and you want to come hear Mark and I speak at Godspeak, that will be on 715, and this is the topic that we'll be discussing. And then while, while, we're, while we're talking about our speaking, um, one of our sponsors, Firearms Training Associates, uh, who is an awesome sponsor of ours, um, I will be teaching one of the, their courses on August 13th, and that's going to be Combat First Aid and Gunshot Survival. So if you want to have some fun, they're out in Chino, um, Firearms Training Associates. Uh, come hear me talk about combat first aid and guns, gunshot survival. It'll be a fun course. I think, Mark, you're going to be attending as well, right? We are going to learn how to survive a gunshot wound to the face. And Jeff is going to teach you how to do that so that if your head actually falls off your body, there is a way to survive that, but you have to be trained in advance. You can't figure it out on the fly. And that's what we're going to be teaching. Awesome. And speaking of sponsorship, there is a, there is a, a listener of ours to informed dissent, who sent me a box of cigars, a box of La, Clor- La Gloria Cubana, one of my favorite cigars. And um, unfortunately, I saved the label that had this person's name on it. And I had a house ke- housekeeper come by my house recently, and she thought it was trash and threw it away. And I was saving it for our next podcast. So if you're listening and you're that person who sent me that box of cigars, you'll have to send me another so I know your name. Just kidding. If you send me an email and remind me, I wanted to thank you personally and send you a thank you note because it was uh, it was very kind of you to do that. Que lastima. Exactly. So, uh, Mark, another great episode. Uh, welcome back from uh, from Europe and uh, look forward to seeing you soon up at Godspeak and, uh, and getting together at Firearms Training Associates. You've been listening to Informed Dissent with Dr. Jeff Barkey, board-certified primary care physician and 
Dr. Mark McDonald, board-certified child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Informed Dissent, the intersection of healthcare and politics.